0: Welcome, everyone. Good to have you here on Sonic Tonic Experience. My name is Darren Kramer, and we have a very special guest today, our one and only Will Swindler here in Denver, Colorado. Woo. <laughs> we're only about uh, 10 minutes apart, maybe, right now. Kind of a neat opportunity to reach out and collaborate with different musicians, even though we can't play live gigs. So it's exciting to have you here. Thanks for making the time. And. Thanks for Let's uh, jump right in. What are you uh, drinking today?
1: Starting with the Four Noses, about damn time, which I think is their flagship IPA. And uh, the the people who who know me know that I like IPAs are my favorite. I, I like it. The more the more a beer tastes like a houseplant, the happier I am. <laughs> and and so the uh, I I most most breweries, unless they specialize in something else, I, I th- always get their their main IPA that they make, and that's kind of like the whether it's whether it's worthwhile to get involved with. Yeah, they, they make mostly IPAs there, which you were there last night, right? So you had... I that. went
0: there specifically because we discussed what, what your favorite beers are right now. They kind of rotate a little bit, but they're generally in this category of IPAs. So we live like 10 minutes away from Four Nose Brewery, so I headed over there and got a six-pack.
1: I got a poor mine.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you have a I glass just, or you...
1: I do, and I, I, I was trying to decide which pint glass to get because I'm a super-duper nerd. Oh, yeah. All the, all the nerdiest ways that you can be. And I was like, I know I have a pint glass that's appropriate for this occasion. And I, I reached for my 2007 Rockies World Series pint cup or pint glass. And I was like, well, okay, that's too obvious. And then I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. Since Darren grew up in Longmont and I lived in Longmont, I'm going to get my left hand brewery. Nice. So I, started, I started to pull that out. And then I remembered this one, which is a gig that you and I played together in 2009 the microbreweries for the environment that we played yeah. with Onda it was the latin the latin grass gig that we played together i hope you got paid eventually it's, it's <laughs> 10 years old it's a gig that you and i played together a long time ago
0: i was just up in netherland a couple times in the last few months and um <laughs> for some reason i always think of you for the frozen dead guy <laughs> days that we played in a tent with this latin band and it's freezing cold and windy and yeah
1: it's, it's a thing i did that gig again um Last year, just for the fun of it, they asked me to go up and I was, I was, I wasn't really busy at the time. And I was like, it's just such a weird gig. It's kind of worth doing just cause it's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> and so I, I went up and did it. And I, I got like a $40 parking ticket cause it was snowing so bad. You couldn't see where to park and where not to. So I parked with a bunch of other cars and they gave me a ticket in Netherland. I'm like, what's happening? Anyway, prison dead guy forever.
0: Hey, we, so we opened up, you guys heard uh, us playing A classic bebop tune called Donna Lee um, key of a flat for those of you keeping track Um, that's like kind of the standard key for instrumentalists and um, I thought that'd be a good opener because Will is such a consummate alto saxophonist I mean he's been playing his whole life and taking this thing seriously went to University of North Texas and lived in New York for a little bit and then has been out here
1: in Colorado for years what what when did you move here two thousand and six so we're coming up on uh on fifteen years next spring nice um,
0: yeah now you're you're a real staple here in the music community and honestly, I feel like especially hearing you just play this uh, it's so steeped in tradition, and i feel I think all of us that know you feel that from your playing too um when did you kind of feel that you fell in love with that sound of bebop and well, and, and hardcore swing jazz
1: well the first of all that makes me very happy uh, to hear you say that because it is something that i've spent a lot of time like you know but but it would it probably would make uh, my 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 first jazz teacher even happier because that was a really important value that he <laughs> instilled in me at the time his name is elias Hasslinger. he was that he still is a great saxophonist in austin um and I started studying with him when I was a sophomore in high school. And it was my first like serious, serious, you know, jazz teacher. And he just immediately just started drilling it into me. It's like, you've got to have the tradition in your playing. You've got to listen to this. And, you know, he opened me up to all the cats who I hadn't heard of yet and, and got me out of the, the basic things. <clears throat> but he definitely like drilled it into me that it's like you, you don't, you have to go through the tradition. You need to have influences. You need to have, you know, people should be able to tell who you like when they listen to you. Like you're not gonna like sound like them. Obviously, they're the greats and things. But it's like people should be able to like hear you play. It's oh, you listen to this, 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 and this, you know. And and so anyway, it makes me very happy because I've worked very hard, to, you know, doing that. He basically, he gave me my mission, I've been working on that mission since 1993. <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> and it's, when, it's ongoing too. So it,
0: it yeah, it does never end. And that's one thing about um, being a musician. It's cool. It, it is open ended, and you can do it your whole life. Uh, my dad just turned 81 years old he's still playing mm-hmm. saxophone himself. Um yep. it's very cool where you can um keep getting better and uh there's no a lot of times there's not some physical uh restrictions like right. like physical activity as sports and stuff. Um I just wanted to ask one question about that is what made someone like you what did you love about it when you heard Charlie Parker um instead of feeling like Oh yes, your teacher's telling you you have to do this. Why did you actually listen to it and practice so much?
1: Hmm, that's a really great question. I um like the the. I mean, I obviously love Charlie Parker, and Charlie Parker is is, is great. And the older I get, the greater he seems to me. Um, but the 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 sound that really like made my heart flutter, that made me like get interested, was Cannibal Adderley, And also, those of you who spend any time with me know that I talk about Cannibal on a daily basis. Um, but uh. I mean, Cannonball's tone and, and, and sound just, I mean, it's just, I mean, it just really, really like made, made me get excited about the saxophone, made me get excited about playing jazz. I didn't really ask any other questions of just like, Oh my God, I love that noise. Let's, let's get involved with that noise. I'd already been playing saxophone for quite a while um, at that point. Um, But yeah, that's what really got me, you know, got me really excited about learning to play jazz. And, and, you know, I mean, for any of us who, who do this, like once you start getting into you know, learning how to improvise and getting the uh, there's so many different, you know, just sort of like internal pleasure points that you hit when you're improvising because, you know, you're doing some self-expression thing, which always feels great. And it really, you know, makes, makes your time on earth feel better. Uh, And then, you know, on top of that, like my brain loves solving problems. Like I'm always like, every activity I undertake is one where it's like, dude, okay. This is what I need to accomplish. Let's make a list of all the things that I need to do. And then, you know, and then really start like worrying after it. And, uh, you know, in the bebop language is so complicated and specific that it's just this long list of unending problems and it requires tons of like accuracy and control. And it's like the, the border collie brain in here was just like, you know, when, when, It just fits in there, like of all the problems I get to solve and the self-expression that comes along with it and the sound that you make is just like, wow, this is great. So it kind of just, it registers with like all the parts of me that are already here. So it's, you know, it's something that I was very attracted to.
0: Yeah, that is so cool. Do you think, I'm actually reading a book right now called Personality Isn't Permanent by Ben Hardy. And it's Mm -hmm. very intriguing. I've been reading this guy for two years, just came out with this book last week and it's this concept that your personality is always changing and can be transformed by what you do. Every time you do something, you're confirming your identity, but a lot of people just think you're how you are and that's it. You were dealt these cards and you're a shy person and, and you, you like to spend time alone practicing your sacks and, and analyzing this thing. Um, what, what's your thought on that?
1: That's man. I, I, I'm immediately intrigued by that book because it's like, you mean I could get out of here? <laughs> I don't have to be like this for the rest of my life. I got to drink to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, no, the bu- books like that, ideas like that are really, I mean, they're cool. And it's, it's you know, it's always exciting to get involved with the the self-improvement type stuff, or at least the self alteration where you could maybe look at it a different way. I've I've been stuck in the way I am for quite a while, but do
0: you think, I guess it's that, you know, um, there's some people that like punk rock. There's some people that like country. There's some people that only like singer songwriter kind of stuff. I tend to like jazz and I really love funk and I love the complexity of those, the syncopation and the language that you're talking about, the advanced harmony. Do you Mm -hmm. think, in general though that all of us that hang out together as jazz musicians are we
1: a certain type definitely (laughs) you got to like enjoy complexity and there's got to be like a little bit of like subversiveness in you to want to do it there's got to be like you know something that in in, that doesn't enjoy the same thing that already happened like you're looking for variety and you know enjoys surprises enjoys like you know the the Spontaneity of what might happen, like being able to, you know, have to deal with something on the fly that has changed or something that is occurring that you can't control. Or that's or, you know, that's that. so
0: spot on. I, I agree with that 100. percent. That's a perfect segue. Let me pull this up, and I just want to on Sonic Tonic here. I like to go a little deeper on some subjects, so I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes here on this Donnelly track. And you're looking at Ableton Live. You can see that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I pulled Will's saxophone track in there. And then this was a play-along that he played Donna Lee to. That, that's the song you heard when we first opened the show. Um, here it is. Yeah. That's cool. Um yeah. I like separating these these elements, and you might think, "Oh yeah, jazz is just this bunch of rambling kind of busyness going on." But if you listen to something five times, twenty-five times, maybe five hundred times, it starts to make more sense. So it's just like an eloquent sentence. Um, so this kind of thing is fascinating to both of us. I believe it's it's just mm-hmm. like we're listening. <laughs> There's the background. Are you paying attention to that symbol? There's bass in there. And piano. Here's the sax. So it's kind of neat to concentrate on these different elements because they all make up the greater whole. Um, Talking about being creative, I'm all about this Ableton Live thing. I'm all about technology. I have been for most of my life. I don't know why. I haven't really chosen it. Um, I like straight-ahead jazz, but then I like the funk thing and and doing something a little different, a little modern. So I quickly pulled in some
1: of these hip-hop loops. I I can't wait to see what you did. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so excited.
0: And so we have this and then listen how the feel changes and how it makes you feel as you're listening to this. One thing that's interesting to point out is you can just mix and match things like you pull something out of your cupboard and you mix it with this one and you create something new or you can put a little thought into it or a little bit of time and all of a sudden you start crafting it and it's this thing where uh some things are better than others right mardi gras that's not really (laughs) that's james brown yeah um so there's this really neat thing that i messed with just a little bit and i'm going to show you i'm highlighting all of these drum loops and i'm going down here and turning on a thing called follow actions and what it's going to do is play any of these loops for like one round of the loop and then it'll go to some other one so it's always switching oh wow So I can start it like on, um, say, here, and it'll only play a little bit. Now move to this one. That's actually when the levy breaks. Uh, nice. Led Zeppelin. Um, oh, so right. now, on, for some traditionalists, they would maybe go, "You're, you're um, bastardizing this thing. You're, you're, you're committing a sin." But um, I try to look at it like that's already been done. Maybe you mix, and you're actually paying homage to this, and going, "How cool to have this kind of sound over this new sound." And you know, that's so, sort of a musician's uh, prerogative.
1: I want to get the date right on Donnelly, so I'm consulting the or- Oracle real quick.
0: Nice. 47 was s- the
1: original recording. What What was it? 1947 was the the original recording.
0: Nice. Donnelly,
1: which is credited to Charlie Parker, who stole it from Miles Davis, who actually stole it from somebody else. So.
0: <laughs> and you mentioned, uh, um, if for those of you that are maybe being introduced to this jazz world without the sax, um, Charlie Parker's yeah, credited with creating like Bebop, right, sort of the father of jazz with Dizzy Gillespie who plays trumpet. But um, Cannonball Adderley is a big influence on a lot of people, which Will just said, and then Sonny Stitt as well. And you'll notice in the video when Will was playing, you see on the calendar there, (laughs) there it is. (laughs) There's Sonny Stitt. A lot of people don't realize that stuff's going on under the the surface, just like I, I bet they're thinking, wait a minute. Will, he, he's thinking about this stuff, this history, uh, or he spent some time. He knows all these details about Sonny Stitt. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah.
2: That's how you get good.
1: Well, these uh, people are my heroes. Yeah. <laughs> I think about them all the time.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, so it's kind of neat for people that are watching this to remember you walk by a jazz club and someone's playing. They didn't just learn that yesterday. It's this deep-seated They might have only been playing two years, but most likely they've been playing 12 or 30. And um, it's represented in their playing and the maturity and the way they can communicate with the band members on stage. It's a very deep concept. So it's really neat that you're here watching this, but hopefully we can open your mind a little bit and go, wow, these people are living this thing, which leads us to this point why why this quarantine and everything has been such a um, tough situation for live performers because you're that's how we make our living and it's like when that gets pulled out what what do you do you know so how how have you felt how's how's it been for you will
1: man it's i mean uh the uh first of all i just want to say it's it's hard for everybody everybody is struggling there's so many people who are way worse off than i am and that we are as musicians however it has been very bad on the arts very 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 bad Uh, uh, just, I mean, nobody can do anything. Almost everything is canceled. Very few live gigs are going out there. So you got the, you know, the um, you know, basic needs where people aren't making money that they needed to make. And it's, you know, as, as a musician, if you take a bunch of time off to go do some other job, like you, you start sliding in what you can do and it's turns into this recovery thing. So a lot of musicians are hoping it's going to come back. They don't want to like go start another career or take on some, like little job or something to, to pay in the meantime, but a lot of them are kind of being forced to do that. Um, and suddenly like nobody's making a living and all the opportunities are, are very few and far between. Like normally in, in July, I used to play more than 30 gigs every July. Like, I mean, I, I cut back recently, um, but back when I was, you know, gigging a whole lot and really making that my main focus, I'd play 30, 31, 35 gigs in July. I have two, for this july and that is two more than most people have so yeah it's
0: that's a great segue i know everyone if you're sitting here watching you paid five bucks to see this It's the new format i figure we at least got to have some sort of entrance fee um this is a lot of work for both of us to put one of these together um but if you feel like you're learning stuff through this thing and you're appreciative anything you can donate on top of that we'll give it over to will and uh, his family and um try to improve his summer a little bit. This is a challenging time, but it's also kind of a, a mission for growth, I think, which is why I even created this live stream, and it's um, been really cool. Thanks for being here. Let's uh, move on to this debut video that we're going to premiere here today. Um, Will, tell us about your awesome group, The Eleven at
1: the Elevenet has existed here in Denver since 2007. Uh, is when I put it together. Um, I started the group uh, under a different name uh, when I lived in Austin, which it existed from 2004 to 2006. Uh, but I really I wrote for this instrumentation more or less uh, at my senior recital at North Texas back in 2001, uh, and I, I did it basically. I did I wrote one chart for the the nonet from Birth of the Cool, and I wrote one chart for the same instrumentation as the Marty Page Dectet, which are both similar. Um, and both of them, as soon as we sat down and started rehearsing the charts, it was like a light went on and I went, this is what I do. Like it was, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but as soon as we started playing, I was like, yeah, this is, and it's, you know, that was almost 20 years ago that I did that. And I'm still like 11 and I'm like, yep, that's what I write for. That's that, that group right there. That's the one that I want to do. So i mean, I write big band charts, obviously and small group things and all sorts of, of a, other things and different ensembles, but it's like the 11 is like this special one that I do right. I handpicked exactly the voices that I wanted to hear based on some of you know the things um, Influenced by Gil Evans and, and also by the lesser known Marty page. But we got, you know, I play alto and sometimes soprano. There's a tenor saxophone um, More it's like standard jazz instruments Two trumpets that are frequently dub- doubling on flugelhorn. Darren plays trombone and then I've got the three weirdos that really, really make it special, which is where I've, I've got uh, my wife, April plays bass clarinet in the group, which is a real treat to have that sound in the group. It re- every time it's, I'm always like, yes, bass clarinet. And then there's a flute chair that's the alto flute and flute. I use both of them quite a bit. Um, and then we also have French horn in the band. So it's like the, it's, kind of the Miles Davis non plus a little bit added. I mean, there's added flute and there's tenor and not Barry. There's some switches that I made, but you know, having the stuff that comes from the thought cloud Thornhill orchestra and all that sort of symphonic things going on in the forties, which is where Gil Evans got it, of having French horn in the band, having more reeds in the band and fewer like just brass and saxophones going on. So it's like, that's, that's, you know, the noise that I liked. And I, I still, I mean, I've, I think I've written 60 charts for the 11 at now that we have in the book. It's a huge book. Um, that I've been working on for almost 20 years. And I still, it just, I'm just like, I mean, as I was editing this video that we're about to show, I'm just listening to it going, yes, this is, this is what I wanted to do. So yeah, it's, 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 it's basically, it's my, my voice, my, my very specific compositional thing. You know, I, like I said, I write for big band, I do all those other things and I've got my ways that I do those, but it's like, this is the one that it's like, this is me. This is definitely unique to me and my idea and the way that I see this and the way that I want to put it together. So
0: yeah. When when do you think you found that? Um...
1: That was two thousand and one. I did my my senior composition recital at, at North Texas, and I remember the room that we were in in the building. I remember the second it happened. Like I'm sitting there, and we started playing the chart that I wrote. That was for the Miles Davis thing, and it was just like a wave goes over me, and like you know, there's like metaphysical clarity for a moment, and it's like ah. Oh. So <laughs> that so, is yeah, so... It was very oh. specific.
0: Um. So we've played this tune live just once was that in (laughs) at the du concert that we did a couple years ago Mm -hmm. and um so then you had the thought that maybe we should try to do it we'll have another chance at another whack at it and um we all sent in our own videos from our homes and you pieced it together and um now we're launching it today On July 2nd. And um, so let's go ahead and um, enjoy this, and um, then we'll get some of Will's comments
2: after we listen. So go grab yourself another beverage. awesome tune will
0: that that was a lot of fun that was really challenging to record it um all of us were kind of talking about it behind the scenes oh you were oh no um and then i actually featured gabe mervine the second trumpet there the flugelhorn and um a couple last month for a sonic tonic and here's what he had to say oh
1: no This is one of the best things that's happened to me this week.
0: (laughs) Great saxophone player and a composer here in Denver, Will Swindler. A lot of you around this area know him. And uh, he has a great group called Eleven Et. And um, Eleven piece Group, kind of in the Gil Evans, Miles Davis genre. But it's all original music and um, super awesome. We've played a lot of gigs around town. And um, so now we're doing our first video with this whole COVID thing. And um, we were both laughing about it the other day, just saying, man, that thing is hard. Um, So what is hard about it, Gabe, about something like Will Swindler's music?
3: Um, (laughs) His his music music is is difficult. And I tell this to students. I try and think about music as, like, not easy and hard, but familiar and unfamiliar the more I can remind myself of that. Like, I don't want to think that something's difficult, it's just new and different. And geez, Will can write some stuff that is new and different. Uh, The way the rhythms are read off the page, where the rhythms fall, like that's what was really um, giving me some, some difficulty. I think it was called Mechanisms as a tune. I was really getting stuck on this one part because it was a group of rhythms that I, or a group of notes set in a rhythmic fashion that I, probably had never seen before. So for me to stay on beat, playing along with this MIDI track and not get confused by the other parts I'm hearing at the same time because another thing that makes Will's music difficult is how everything fits together. And not only that, but when you're recording these videos, it's got to be one tape. (laughs) And I have a really long solo and then a bunch of really hard rhythmic stuff. So I kept playing the intro. The solo, and then I get to this rhythmically difficult spot and go, shoot, oh, I got to start over again. That solo felt so good. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And anytime there's hard music, um, as a composer, it's really neat to put it together. You and I have both written a lot of music, but then you're writing it from this um, ideal kind of situation. And that's why I'm always a um, real uh, teacher of live and recording are two different things. Um, They're both. My God,
1: you know it's the trade-off of uh, you know you get the the energy of the live recording, but then it never is as perfect as it would be. And then you, the studio recording ends up being this like really really specific documentation of what you did, and the mixing is all right. And if anybody messed something up, you can usually fix it. And you get it just the way it's supposed to be, but then everybody, myself included, I've spent my whole life trying to get as free in the studio as I am on live gigs, where on the gig, I'm just like letting it go because it's like, yeah, once I let this go, it's gone. Everybody heard it, and nobody's gonna loop it on my tombstone, you know. So it's like then you're you're playing the thing, and all you're thinking is this is the this is what anybody would ever hear, and that's the only thing they would ever hear from me, And it better be perfect. It better be everything I can do, and it better be, you know, just like the best thing that anybody's ever heard. So yeah, you can you can get so up in your head. Even if you're pretty good at like, you know, really letting it go and and doing stuff, you get in the studio and all of a sudden it's like you're in the operating room with all the lights shining on you. It's like, oh, God. That is so, so right. Um.
3: I love Will and I love his music. He's a huge inspiration to me. I I took a lesson from him when this quarantine thing first started because I really love the way he writes. And that's why I'll sit there for two or three hours just to get one good take because it's worth it from his music for his music.
0: That's a Sorry, big compliment, Gabe. yeah, To for any composer. Your music is really like a Maria Schneider thing, Pat Metheny, where it's this um, kind of, it, there's no defined start and end to different phrases and stuff. It's very cool and not so rigid. And, um, I always
1: refer to that as horizontal music. Yeah. Where it's, you, you, the music goes this way instead of this way and both of those are you get a different kinds of music fit into those categories but yeah the thing you're describing which i definitely do a lot of that and on purpose from those kinds of influences of
0: um, music. and so that's a great point for sonic tonic for those of you out there when you're hearing stuff it's not by accident i mean people have put lots and lots of thought into this and so i highly recommend you go back and listen to this and think about some of these things that Will has said and what gabe was talking about And see if you can kind of assimilate um, and think about it maybe a different way instead of like, oh, yeah, they just they sound kind of pretty, you know, Um, there's there's more depth to this stuff and you got to give it a little bit of time. So, Will, where can they go hear the full version of the video
1: again? Uh, My YouTube channel, uh, which is it's pretty easy to get a hold of. It's my last name, Swindler. Swindler Jazz is my YouTube channel. Um, But if you go to my website, there's a link there to get to the YouTube channel. I will put that video up my website, but I don't have it up yet. So. Probably the channel's the place to go, but great. Yeah, that's where you can go and, and hear it over and over and over again if you if you like to like to do that.
0: And then you have so how many albums do you have these days?
1: Uh, there's only one 11 at record. Um, I also have my uh, the record uh, my I did with my quintet called Good Rattle, which Gabe plays in that group also. Um, I've got the uh, the chamber jazz record, which is the band that I had in Austin. That was uh, kind of like the, it was the eleven at, but there were only ten people in it. We didn't have the flute chair in there. Um that record's called Chamber Jazz Ensemble. Um and then I have that Christmas record that I did as a as a social experiment. Nice. That that's by far my most my best selling record. (laughs) Cover tunes, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I I did it just to see. I was like, you know what? If we did like a Christmas thing, would we, you know, make the money back and actually make money? The answer is yes, we did. We made money back. All of us who were on the album, you know, made my, it's taken a couple of years, but we all made money on that record, which is all, all, all my other ones I've not made money back from, from sales at least. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, but anyway, those are the four that I have as a leader. I'm on a whole bunch of others as a player. but Sideman, yeah. Um, great. And your main website is? Wilswindler.com. Thanks for reminding me that I just said my website. But didn't, yeah. w- I wanted you to try to say it through the beer
0: um okay let's do something a little different uh we're gonna listen to a track that will just did spur of the moment it's called bone chilling um so it's like chill chill out down tempo um so that's where the name is but also i play trombone i go like this um so <laughs> but actually this is a excruciatingly simple tune but it's got all this ear candy going on and I really enjoy it and I think it's fun to play over so I I wanted to hear Will with his kind of cannonball and actually there's a few moments that sound kind of Paul Desmond You know, I get that sometimes (laughs) yeah I mean it's just a really nice and light and I knew you'd treat it that way so this is called Bone Chillin' I hope you enjoy it will swindler he's our guest on sonic tonic experience this week uh, we're both in denver colorado and uh, that was my tune called bone chilling and just had him play over that and see
1: how it felt and i think it felt pretty good what do you that think was, it was fun i don't know if you remember when you had me do a dko quintet gig at nocturne and we played that tune in so, kind of an acoustic kind of situation yep. Yeah. And when, when you sent it to me, I was like, Oh, I know this tune. We did this. I remember doing, I remember doing the loops. That's that's happening. Yeah. No, so that was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, the uh, doing electronic music is definitely outside of what I normally do. Um, And doing, you know, just like all straight eight things like that is outside of what I normally do. However, I do love that music and think it's great. And so it was, it's always fun to, you know, sort of face a different, uh, a different set of a, different set of scenery to to, you know to improvise over and i like like, that
0: about you actually because um well but first of all the straight eight thing isn't really out of your wheelhouse too much because a lot of your 11th stuff is straight eights yeah um and also like you mentioned at the beginning that we've been in some salsa bands together and you've played a quite a bit of salsa that is all very straight
1: i love Um, playing latin music
0: yeah latin music is the is the thing (laughs) um it's neat to kind of have these things meld together and I'm all about sort of try you create a new recipe by having a tune that's has some Afro-Cuban influence and then maybe some bebop and then maybe some funk and it creates a new thing, you know? Um, so uh, I wanna do a little shift here and I think it's always very interesting to find that um, great musicians, they take that mentality of being detail-oriented and creative and wanting to help others and solving problems. And they take that and put that into another side hobby. And so Will has a couple of side hobbies, and so I think it'd be really fun for you to just kind of um, tell us a little bit of what they are and, and how you got into it.
1: Uh, let's see. So the, the one that sort of fits the most that I, I – um it's it's exactly the same part of my brain that I use for composing music is woodworking um where I I started just making stuff out of wood for you know no reason probably 10 years ago uh and then maybe when we moved into the house that we live in here uh in Thornton um the garage was a little bigger and it actually already had a workbench in it and I was like huh I'm gonna start you know getting this going so I started you know getting things going a little more and started doing more projects and things like that and it really really enjoyed it. and it's, it's just like this, uh, this ongoing, like really deep, rich problem solving. And there's just so many, it's such a, it's so, so much to learn and so much to, to, to get involved with it. When I, um, sometimes don't have time to compose music like i still need a creative outlet and i can you know i go do that instead i go build stuff build (laughs) stuff out of wood and and it's it really does hit the exact same spot in my brain where it's like i'm rarely doing a woodworking project and writing music at the same time It's i'm doing one or the other i don't that's interesting because because
0: it takes um mostly it's because of time or because your brain can only handle one
1: uh, well, partially it's time, just because you know I'm I am a dad and I I do you know <laughs> have a yeah. job teaching at CSU, so my my time is limited in that way. But uh, you know I it's it it really is like both of those when I do them, it's very consuming, and I think I kind of only think about that while i'm doing it and and i can in the times where like during the the day when i'm working heavily on a chart or if i'm working on something out there when i stop doing it i have a really hard time getting my brain to stop doing it you know because it just it just completely takes over so yeah it's like while i'm doing one project i'm super focused on that project and until it's done i can't do the next thing and since those things are the same part of my brain there's only if i'm doing woodworking i can't write music write music can't do woodworking
0: i love i want to hit two parts of that I love that, and I'm a big believer in it, and getting even more so, that single-tasking is the answer. Um, Gabe made a few points about that in a video we didn't show either, but he was saying how practicing, you know, is a great distraction. You're worried about the world, um, focus on something, being productive that you can share and help people with, and um, certainly making music, making art, and then making products uh, is... And you're saying you make a lot of stuff for your daughter and for your wife,
1: yeah, I'd make stuff that we need around the house i'm yes. never I'm never making something just for whatever It's like, oh, you need this, oh you need that like I just finished a uh, like a potting bench for April like a like a basically a workbench for gardening where where you you know there's a thing for storage and this over here and a nice flat work surface there's a place where the when you're putting the dirt in it goes down through this grate into a thing that collects it It's like all this specific stuff for a a potting bench, but I made that for her. And I'm, I'm building a new uh, a closet reading nook for Annika right now. Uh, I have to have so much time to do these things. We're kind of jumping all into it. I built a new uh, um, like bed frame for our master bedroom. I built a new bed frame for our guest bedroom. Uh, I built a new headboard for one of them where it's just like all this stuff that I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that. I'm about to build a, a, a set of cubbies for all my saxophones. That's going to go right back over there. In that triangle that you can see right behind me, that's very disorganized and piled with instruments. It's going to be very, I bought the material when I bought the stuff for, for Annika's closet. And yeah, it's just whatever we need, that's what I'm building. And
0: that has so much um, positivity in it um, the creative side, the saving money, the reusing waste. But you um, know
1: my wife, and you know that's very important to her. It's <laughs> really, when I do that, I'm trying to impress my girlfriend. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and it works. And, it totally and works. And it's working. No, I um, believe it, too. I believe it, too. But she definitely is the inspiration for all that.
0: <laughs> that Well, then you're with the right person. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, um, I love that mentality. So let's try to promote that. Um point that I think is worth mentioning here is that you've said it now numerous times the same creative brain and you sounds like you're getting a, a lot of the same satisfaction by doing music and woodworking so it's not about the actual end product it's about this fuel of this big trait right which is this creative thing and can you solve this problem right you have to have a reason you have to have a why and then you'll figure out how to do it yeah um But you also got to sit still long enough to let yourself go, wait, let me collect my thoughts here. What is an idea? What do I want to do (laughs) instead of just go, 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 which is an interesting positive side of this whole quarantine thing that happened, right? It really made people sit and think about things. Um,
1: I can't argue with that.
0: (laughs) So we're looking at you in your uh, music room and some artifacts from your woodworking. And now tell us about this other interesting side scenario, which is very important because I'm a big component of health and physical exercise. And what's your big passion?
1: Well, you know, I, before I became a father, I would play golf twice a week. Like that was my thing. That's another major problem solving activity. And so <laughs> yes. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun to do that for me. But then once I became a dad, my time was much more limited and I needed to find a different, you know, outlet for my you know, physical activity and, and, but something that's creative <laughs> And I used to play in college, I wasn't any good, but I remember being really, really like interested at, at, at this when I used to play racquetball uh, with, you know, there was a group of you know, sort of jazz majors at UNT who played when I got there and they're like, hey, come play with us. I'm like, okay. So I played and I was, I remember at one point I said to somebody like, this is really a creative opportunity. Like this is, this is like a thing. You gotta think your way through this and like, you gotta, you know, really come up with something and assess the situation really quickly, make a decision and then try to, you know, it's, and it's, I remember being really stimulated. And then after Annika was born, um, uh, I started playing again at the long run athletic club cause they've got some, some courts up there. And then because I couldn't play golf anymore and because I need an outlet for these things, I started getting really serious about playing racquetball. And I started basically studying, uh, and learning how people play and watching professionals and, you know, more like just looking for like online analysis. Cause it's impossible to find like a racquetball coach. Uh, you know, and I'd sort of like learned how to play. And then I started playing tournaments and, and, and doing the thing. And I've been getting better and better and better and better and better, which is good. Cause it's, you know, that's what I'm, what I'm uh, working on and doing. But now it's like, I, uh, usually before the pandemic was, I was playing two or three times a week as usually playing one tournament per month. Um, I've got a, I, I built a, uh, a, uh, not a trophy case, but a, a metal hanging thing that goes on our wall upstairs for me and April to collect our racquetball medals, which is now pretty full. Um, April plays too. And we, we play as a doubles team and we've we've won a whole bunch of tournaments together. And
0: that's great.
1: That's it's it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a sport that is, it's stimulating. It's, it's very physically demanding. It's like you end up burning, I think over a thousand calories an hour playing that sport. And so it's, I mean, you are working while you're playing, but then it's just, your brain is just going the whole time. It's just constantly it's, it's, it's just problem solving at the speed of light. It's just like improvising. It's just like playing music. You're just faced with this this rapid fire set of information that you have to sort out, make a decision, solve a problem. And then the next one comes right after that. And the next one comes right after that. and The next one comes, you know, so it it fits well and and does the thing. So
0: my girlfriend and I, Julie, she's been playing, um, we've been doing
1: pickleball. Oh, you pickleball people don't get me started. And,
0: um, And then we just played tennis yesterday. Cool. And it's been hard to find these courts. Sometimes we've had to try five different places because they're taken. So it's kind of neat that people are going, oh, wait, I need something to do. And you can't go to a restaurant. At least you couldn't a couple of weeks ago. And you can't go to a movies or whatever. So maybe we'll go outside and get some exercise and play a game, which is very cool, you know?
1: Well, pickleball is a fun sport. I'm just joking. We just, as racquetball people get older, they start playing pickleball. And it, pickleball is not just for old people. But I am older. You're not, But you're not that old. But it, it's like we start losing players. And, and, and it's like rec centers start putting their, their attention on pickleball and they forget about racquetball and all this. So there's this weird tension between racquetball players and pickleball players. However, I like that game. It's very fun.
0: You definitely get your heart rate going more than walking down the road. You oh, know. Yeah.
1: oh, yeah. Yeah. And my heel hurts
0: every morning now, so I know I'm doing something <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. I, I got to kill the pain.
1: There you go. You feel better now? Good. Oh, this is a bummer. You're um, off camera. I didn't realize I was pacing improperly. I already finished. Oh, wow. My um,
0: so, man, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're running out of time. Before we and... go, though,
1: I just want to say, like, the the – I'm always so grateful for, like, you guys playing in my band. Like, you guys are so damn good. I I mean, it's – it's when we were playing more, which, I mean, obviously the pandemic's kept us out, but, like, you know, years ago, we used to play fairly frequently. And it's – it every time I go and I listen, you guys just knock it out of the park. I mean, I just – I just love it so much and I like, I mean I will forever the rest of my life be indebted to all of you guys who have played in the Eleven Net and done such a great job and playing my music and like I said, like it's my it's my voice, it's my thing, it's my life project and it's nothing without you guys there to play it. And I've it took me a long time to find the right players and get the people on the band and it's it's like it's I'm very grateful for all you guys making making wonderful tones out of the dots I put on the page.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice and I know everyone in the band feels that back at you because it's it's so neat as a freelance musician to it's not common to get a good band with great world class players to play great tunes that are organized and creative and have a point <laughs> and um to then have your leadership skills it's always so efficient We show up if it says it's four o'clock we're starting at four o'clock and we do a walk through and and you you know exactly what you want. That's very, um, and I'm a leader myself, and I just love, I just know I don't have to do anything. I'm just sitting there as the trombone player, and you're going to answer all my questions. I just have to sit there and play, and that's a big benefit as a musician. So That's it's, how I
1: feel when I've done your gigs. I'm like, Darren, <laughs> Darren's got it. I don't have to worry about a thing. I could just show up, and be a sideman, and not be like, why is this idiot doing that? It's just like, no, this is
0: good. Yeah, so it's really kind of like um, you know, gravitating toward your like. Uh, mentality and people and um, it makes it a lot of fun so um, thanks for doing what you do and um, keep doing it and hopefully we can play some live gigs here soon and um, um, take care of you and your family and um, if anybody out there is um, can spare a few bucks please send it there Uh, we're going to finish out with a tune that's dear to my heart is the tune that I happen to get jerry hay and gary grant to play trumpet on um Happen back in then. 97. And... i didn't know that <laughs>
1: that's awesome you didn't oh yeah no i didn't i didn't know i played the track and i was like oh the trumpet player sounds good <laughs> it's jerry and, hay, you idiot <laughs> and some of those horns then
0: are us also uh jake boldman don me oh, cool. and eric Earhart um playing but yeah the original track on my first album was jerry hay oh okay gary cool. grant and Happen. then um that's kind of what led me to meet Michael Brecker and then Michael Brecker ended up playing on my third CD and it's just all, you know, one thing leads to another. So I thought it'd be neat to hear Will play on some aggressive electro funk. And, um, and then I'm playing my electric trombone and kind of looping some stuff underneath him. And, uh, um, nice. it's a lot of fun. So thanks for stepping outside your normal comfort zone. Always fun, um, and, um, I hope you all enjoy this and, um, Please stay safe out there, be positive, and uh, spread some light around the world. We all need it. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.